It's good to be together as always. Uh, if you're a, a guest with us today, or this is your first time, uh, I'm always encouraged by the courage that it takes to try out a new place. I know that that's really hard to do, and so just thank you for honoring us with your time. I want to give a couple more announcements before we kind of get into this week's message. First, uh, I'm going to give a shout out to Shannon, who doesn't know that I'm doing this. Uh, she received her math. She's probably out in the foyer. She's going to hate that I show this picture. Uh, but she just finished her master's degree, and that, that is a lot of... A lot of work, a lot of, ha-ha, <laughs> sucker. Uh, <laughs> it's a lot of hard work. It's a lot of late nights, early mornings, uh, beside everything else that she does. So I uh, just commend her for continuing to grow. I mean, she, she takes the, uh, who we are seriously and wants to be best prepared to serve. So just grateful for who she is. Uh, second bit of family business, I want to discuss uh, the upcoming sabbatical. John just mentioned that I'll be gone for three months uh, if, if that is new information to you, that may be like, what is happening? And so I want to just d- explain a little bit what's going on. A, a sabbatical, just to define it, I think a, a great picture for it, uh, and I've sent this out on an email this week if you're on our weekly email, uh, it's to think of it like a 100,000-mile checkup on your car. So hopefully you get your oil changed regularly. Uh, that's something you do on the regular, but... But at a certain point with your car, you take it in for kind of a deeper checkup, and the, and the mechanic normally keeps your car for a couple days, and, and they do some deeper work. The car may be running completely fine, but it's just a way to kind of do a hard check. Well, sabbatical is kind of like a soul check, and so it's a time to disconnect for more than just a, a vacation. It, it's time to, to do some soul work, and I'll have a, a mentor, uh, a, a kind of a spiritual director that will be with me during that time. And in his words, he's going to walk around in my soul for three months. So pray for me. Uh, uh, but that's what this time is for. And, and the goal, this is, this is a part of our handbook for our pastoral team. All full-time pastors every seventh year can take a sabbatical, and it's encouraged. Uh, if you think about the number of uh, pastors and leaders that burn out in ministry, uh, we want to create a different culture. And so we're willing to, uh, the team is willing to take on extra things to make this possible for me, and we'll do it for each other. Uh, And the goal is to just create a healthy culture. So John will be my stand-in kind of as I'm gone, so if you need to connect to somebody, he'll be kind of the point person. But uh, did you guys know there's an incredible staff and team of volunteers here that makes this church function? So within a month, you'd be like, do we need him to come back? and that, to me, is a beautiful thing. Uh, after service today, if you're interested and you do have questions, maybe there's some concern that you have, like, what exactly is going on? Uh, after service, we're going to create some time for those questions and time for prayer. So we'd love to have you there for that. Uh, so, thank you, Shirley. Just after the second service. So you would have to come back. <laughs> or you can come talk to me after the first service. That's fine, too. All right, we're continuing in our series called Five Solas talking about the the Reformation, and we've covered a lot of ground in the last three weeks. Uh, If this is your first Sunday in the 16th century, there's this major shift in Christianity due to the Reformers making kind of these five proclamations. Grace, 
alone. Faith alone. Christ alone. Scripture alone and the glory of God alone. And, and these ideas confronted some of the thoughts and behaviors of the Catholic Church at the time. And Martin Luther, who's kind of in the middle of this tornado, he, he wrestled out his theology in studying the scriptures, and he saw things that didn't make sense in what he uh, witnessed within the form of religion that he was a part of. And he had a lot of questions. And, and so we've covered grace alone, faith alone, Christ alone. And I, I would encourage you, if you've missed those weeks, it'd be worth going back and watching them. Uh, you can find those on YouTube. But this week we move on to Sola Scriptura, Scripture alone. Everyone say, Scripture alone. Scripture alone. Awesome. Uh, there's two questions, two questions that I'm, I'm going to navigate through today. Uh, why can we trust the scriptures? And why did scripture alone become a thing? Why, why did that become kind of a mantra, a rallying cry? And so we're going to jump right into it. First question, why can we trust the scriptures? This, this is a very valuable question to ask, particularly if, if our heart and desire is to submit ourselves to the authority of scriptures, of the scripture. Why, why are they trustworthy? Why are they a trustworthy voice in our lives? And I mentioned this last week, but many people have a hard time, or many people who have a hard time with Christianity, um, describe it as a man-made religion that's designed to kind of control and manipulate it. Have you heard kind of this rumbling, right? Uh, unfortunately, there's plenty of evidence to support the claim. That's what makes it hard. History is littered with stories of various religions and religious people wielding the scripture for personal gain. But does that mean we, sh we should throw out Christianity and throw out the scriptures? Uh, the scriptures were never intended to be weaponized. Let's just get that clear, right? Even the language of using the scriptures is is like a far cry from what the purpose is. Does that make sense? We don't use the scriptures. We submit ourselves to the teaching of the scriptures. There's a, there's a very big difference. And so why are they a trustworthy source? This, this may seem like a rabbit trail, but to answer this question, to me it begins with Jesus. Who is Jesus? Because if we accept that Jesus, in fact, is God in the flesh, if we believe that God manifested his heart to the world through the person of Jesus, then Jesus is central to the conversation. And what did Jesus think about the scriptures? So we'll start there. Uh, starting with the Old Testament. If you read the gospel accounts, it's clear that Jesus had a relationship with and accepted and was submitted to the Old Testament scriptures as we have them. He was, he was born into a Jewish family he uh, was a part of the synagogue life. He was a part of uh, learning the scriptures and the Torah and understanding what it meant. And, and as he ministered and, and cared for people and taught people, he constantly referred to the Old Testament and taught things from the Old Testament. I'll give you one example, uh, one of my favorite stories in the Bible. Turn with me to Luke chapter 24. This text is often visited around Easter because it's after the resurrection. And the disciples, they're, they're still sorting out what happened. They, they'd witnessed the crucifixion of Jesus. They've now, in this, 
in this text, they've, they've heard that he had risen, but they're still like, nah, I don't know about that. And, and they're trying to figure out what his life looked like moving forward. Uh, they're, they're kind of wrestling with a sense of hopelessness. And all of a sudden, as they're on this walk, Jesus shows up among them, and he's walking with them, and he asks them, like, what are you guys talking about? Like he doesn't know. And, and they say, well, you know, you're the only person in this whole area that doesn't know what's going on. You didn't hear about Jesus? You know, he came, and then they crucified him, and some say that he's risen, but man, I don't know. This is Jesus' response to these disciples in Luke 24, verse 25. It says, and he said to them, oh, foolish ones, <laughs> and slow of heart to believe all the prophets have spoken. Was it not necessary that the Christ should suffer these things and enter into his glory? And beginning with Moses and all the prophets, he interpreted to them in all of the scriptures the things concerning himself. So in this text, Jesus went to the Old Testament to help the disciples understand who he was. And in the same way, as we engage with you want me to answer? That could be awesome in a service. You're totally fine. <laughs> it, it actually makes me laugh when something like that happens. It's all, it's all good. But how funny would it be if I actually answered somebody's phone? Next time. Maybe we'll prep that for next week. Uh, so Jesus goes to the Old Testament and he says, listen, I'm going to show you how the Old Testament actually all points to me. And in the same way, as we engage in the Old Testament today, guess what the Old Testament helps us understand? Who Jesus is. It all points to Jesus. It, it all reveals actually what he came to do. The, the saving work of, of Jesus. So that, that's the Old Testament and how Jesus engaged with that. What about the New Testament? Uh, the New Testament... Is all about Jesus, right? The first four books are his, his story. It's, it's four people's account of his story. And the Acts is the story of the disciples. And then you get the, the letters that were written uh, in connection with that. And by the end of the first century, these stories of Jesus were written down and the letters of the apostles were widely distributed and accepted as authoritative documents in the Christian community. Now, can you hand me my Bible there, Alex? Granted, thank you, it, it didn't look like this. Okay, well, the, the scriptures in the early church was not bound like what you have in your hand or now on your phone, <laughs> right? There's a very different experience. Uh, what we have today wasn't actually formed until around the fourth century, Okay. And, and this is where there's a little bit of confusion. Uh, and maybe, yeah, this is where confusion can swirl. Because uh, did some, in, in the fourth century, was it, was it just some controlling leaders that wanted to pull together a book to, again, control or manipulate people? Is that really what happened? Did they compile all of these letters so that they could, uh, someone said, yes, that's exactly what happened. In the fourth century, people pulled these scriptures together so that they could use it as a tool to manipulate and control. Now, if you, if you read the history of uh, the 4th century, the, the leaders were actually struggling a little bit. Uh, and they needed to get a sense of control because there wasn't unity. The kingdom was kind of falling apart. So there is some truth to that, actually. 
But uh, I'm not going to go super in-depth. There's humans involved. One of their humans involved. There you go. But here's the point I want to make. So hold on to this. The Gospels, the, the acts of the disciples, the letters of the epistles, Peter, James, John, and others, these letters operated with authority in the Christian community well before the 4th century. So the canon that was formed did not give the New Testament authority. Are you with me? It already had authority. It just gathered it in one place. So that's important when we engage in this conversation because some would say, well, they pulled it together and now they stamped authority on it and now they use that authority. No, 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 no. The disciples were already reading all the letters and reflecting on the story of Jesus and that was actually forming them as a community well before these people came together and formed it. So that's, that's helpful. Uh, now, if I'm scratching an itch, you're like, gosh, can you go like, for another hour on this because I really want some help? Um, if I'm scratching edge, I got a couple books I'm going to recommend for you. Um, the first is How We Got the Bible by John Salehammer. Uh, really short book. It, it might even be under 100 pages. So pick that up. Ask all the questions that you have. Th- that book will be helpful. The second is Seven Things I Wish Christians Knew About the Bible uh, by Michael Bird. Pick that up. And again, keep asking questions. But that's a very brief synopsis. Uh, let's turn to the second question. Why scripture alone? What was going on that would make Luther and the reformers say scripture alone has authority? Here's some more history. In, in June of 1520, the Pope condemned most of what Luther had posted in his 95 theses. Uh, if, if, if that's new language, the 95 theses were just Luther's reflections on what was happening in the church. He was presenting an argument saying these things need to be addressed. Now, the Pope didn't throw out all of it. So it's some credit to the leadership back then. About half of it, the Pope said, this is not, no, we're not going to do this. And, and so they, they told Luther, listen, you need to recant. <laughs> you need to repent. You need to change your perspective. Luther said, nope. And so in January of the following year, he's excommunicated from the Catholic Church. This guy is no longer a part of what we're doing. And in April, there was one more attempt to kind of snuff out what Luther was stirring up. And they brought him before uh, what was called, we would read it if you saw it on a page, the Diet of Worms which sounds super weird, but it's not pronounced that way. I'm not even going to try to pronounce it because I'm going to butcher it. Verms or something like that. Okay? So he's brought, he's brought into this holy assembly of the, Roman, the Holy Roman Empire. And it was this power play. It was this power play to, again, crush what Luther had started. Because imagine there wasn't a lot of questions against the Roman Catholic Church, and now Luther has started to stir things up. And people are going, wait a second. We can ask, we can push back. We... They were getting a little nervous about that. And so they thought if we bring him to this thing and we just kind of snuff him out, then maybe it'll die with him. It had the opposite effect. People actually cheered him as he traveled to go to this assembly. They were excited for what was going on, right? Here's what Luther said at this assembly. 
Unless I am convinced by scripture and plain reason, I do not accept the authority of the popes and councils. For they have contradicted each other. My conscience is captive to the word of God. I cannot and will not recant anything. For to go against conscience is neither right nor safe. God help me. Amen. Scripture alone. Again, this is a scary idea for those who are in leadership in the Catholic Church because in their minds to put the scriptures in the hands of normal people to interpret would cause pandemonium. Well, guess what? It does. It does. They weren't wrong. But they assumed it was their duty to protect the truth, keep this from happening. We'll keep this from happening. Uh, funny side note, if you were here last week, I shared the story of Peter, the rock. Remember the, the rock? Protecting Jesus, who was self-proclaimed the truth. How did that go? Well, it wasn't awesome. It seems that anytime we take responsibility for protecting God, we're overemphasizing our importance. We're thinking a little too highly of ourselves if we're going to protect God. The Catholic Church carried this belief that church traditions and beliefs passed on through generations carried the same weight as the scriptures. The same authority, the same heaviness as the scriptures. And this is what Luther pushed against. He said, that's not what I see in scripture. What I see in scripture is that there's God, the righteous and holy and perfect one, and then there's us. And there's no medium, there's no mediator in between that's going to kind of elevate themselves to help everybody else. There's God who is righteous, and we are sinners in need of a savior. And we get to engage in the scriptures and learn about who our God is and who we are, and by Jesus alone, by grace alone, through faith alone, we're saved. We can have a relationship, you can have a relationship with God because his grace was poured out to you on the cross. Everyone say, Scripture alone. Scripture alone. Now, I want to I want to move to a kind of a practical application of this conversation, and and how this how this works out and affects us today. Because as we engage in a conversation about Scripture alone, it's important to be mindful that we come into the conversation with a 21st century lens. This is where we live. It's the water we're swimming in. And so here's what I mean. When I say the Scriptures, what comes to mind for you? Something like this, right? That looks like this. Uh, maybe, maybe, uh, maybe you don't have one of these. Maybe it's like the giant leather-bound one at your grandparents' or your parents' house. Or maybe, maybe, maybe you think of like the different events, sporting events, or you know, where people have the giant scripture. It's like there are certain things culturally that when we think of the scriptures, we we have a picture in our mind of what that means. Or if I was to tell you to go and spend some time in the scriptures, what do you naturally think about? You may think about going home this afternoon and sitting down with a cup of coffee and, or tea and opening the Bible for yourself and reading the scriptures. Accurate? 
in the first century, it's not the, w- the way they thought about things. It was a very different experience. And here's my concern. We've joined a cultural trend of hyper-individualizing something that was never meant to be hyper-individualized. Engaging in the scriptures is a community thing. It's, it's meant to be experienced and talked through and dialogued over and processed with people. And, and we have, we have very, we've, there's good things about it, but there's some things that are bad about it. Because if you highly personalize your faith and you go into your own special place and figure things out about God all on your own and not in community, you can get somewhere pretty quickly that maybe is not correct. So the, so the beautiful thing about the way God created the community of faith in the church is he's called us together. We have the scriptures, but he's also given us his spirit. And together we discern what is the spirit saying through his word. It's a community thing. We get to engage together. This is some of my favorite days of the week, our Tuesday and Saturday morning. I get together with some guys and we open the scriptures, we read it out loud, and then we ask questions and we apply it and we wrestle with it. And sometimes we, you know, we, we don't agree fully or sometimes we do. And, and it's this beautiful, like formative experience where you walk away going, what just happened? <laughs> I think that that's actually pretty, a pretty good thing. So, so as you're engaging in the scriptures or or I would even encourage you today to engage in the scriptures. I'm not saying, I I think you should have a, it's great. You have a Bible, go read it by yourself. But if you're not doing it with other people, you're missing out on something. Incredibly important. Engage in the scriptures in community. So so with this idea of community, uh, let's read one more text, 2 Timothy 3. Keep this picture of reading in community together in mind. This is Paul's letter to Timothy in the church in Ephesus. They would have received this together. It would have been read out loud. Here it is. 2 Timothy 3, verse 10. You, however, have followed my teaching, my conduct, my aim in life, my faith, my patience, my love, my steadfastness, my persecutions and sufferings that happened to me at Antioch, at Iconium, and at Lystra, which persecutions I endured, yet from them all the Lord rescued me. Indeed, all who desire to live a godly life in Christ Jesus will be persecuted. Blessings to you. (laughs) Well, evil people and imposters will go on from bad to worse, deceiving and being deceived. But as for you, Continue in what you've learned and have firmly believed, knowing from whom you learned it, and how from childhood you've been acquainted with the sacred writings, which are able to make you wise for salvation through faith in Christ Jesus. I'm going to pause here for a minute. Do you see all of the community type of language that he's, he's using? He's saying, hey, Timothy, remember how I've walked with Jesus because you were with me. Remember how you watch my life as I follow Jesus? In fact, in other places, Paul says, follow me the way I follow Christ. He, he's talking about what life looks like together under the leadership of Jesus. You saw the way that I, I lived. You saw the things that, that I endured. And, and don't forget the people that actually helped form you. Don't forget your family and in in their, in their, 
in their time, their church community that helped teach you about what? The sacred writings, the scriptures. Don't forget that you were formed and shaped in a community like this. And then he makes this statement, verse 16. All scripture is breathed out by God and profitable for teaching, for reproof, for correction, and for training in righteousness, that the man of God may be complete, equipped for every good work. Now, there's debates on this, right? Paul is, particularly, he's referring to the Old Testament when he's saying this. And some would say, no, he, he understood that what he was writing was, was authoritative scripture. It's a debate. It's been going on for a long time. You want to get in that debate? Have fun. Uh, <laughs> But everything that Paul wrote, he was explaining the Old Testament in light of Jesus. In fact, some would say that the New Testament is a commentary on the Old Testament in light of Jesus. It's kind of an interesting way to look at it. So if you engage with the New Testament, think about it that way. They're explaining how Jesus fulfilled all the things in the Old Testament, how Jesus really is the Savior how Jesus really is Lord of the universe. It's, it's everywhere in the writing. And the invitation for all of us as a community is to approach the scriptures together to ask questions, to share observations. And here's this beautiful promise that Jesus made in John 16. He said, when I go, I'm gonna send the Holy Spirit to you. And what's the Holy Spirit going to do? The Holy Spirit is going to guide you into truth. So as we gather around the scriptures, we don't gather alone. God's presence actually is with us to guide us into truth. Now, if you've ever been a part of a, a small group, again, where you've experienced this, where you like you walk away encouraged and uplifted, and sometimes you don't even know why. That's the presence of God when we gather in his name. My ongoing prayer for our community, and I got to witness this on, on Wednesday night. <laughs> I, I got to, to be a sub for our rooted group. Some of you are in that group. Um, and... There's some content, there's some scripture reading throughout the week, and then there's time to process kind of what you learned and share your testimony. And I sat in this group kind of silently. I didn't say much the whole time because I was having a hard time holding it together because it was so beautiful what was going on. People were gathering in the name of Jesus around the scriptures, encouraging one another and lifting each other up. I was like silently weeping in the corner, going, gosh, don't make a scene, don't make a scene. But I'm like, that's it. Let's do more of this. <laughs> and that's my prayer for all of us, that you would be connected in a way where you're not alone, you're with other people, you're gathered around the scriptures, you're submitted to the Lord, and you're allowing him to shape you and transform you and change you. Faith alone, grace alone, Christ alone, scriptures alone. Next week, Zach's coming, so put your seatbelt on now. Uh, <laughs> If you know Zach, Zach is one of our teaching, he's on a teaching team. Uh, he's going to close this series by talking about the glory of God alone. And I'm stoked. It's going to be really, really good. Uh, 
Worship team, you guys can come and join me. Why don't you grab your communion elements? We'll close here. In our tradition, in our rhythm, we, uh, we share this symbolic meal once a month. And, and it has deep meaning for us because it represents a lot of the things that we've talked about over the last three or four weeks. That it is, it is Christ alone that we have salvation by his grace alone and we have put our faith in that. So this is a way to kind of practice what we believe, we're remembering that Jesus came to us, that we are the broken ones, we are the fallen ones, we are the sinful ones, and he saw us, he saw the brokenness of humanity, and he entered in because he loves us, and he said, listen, I'm going to deal with the brokenness in your life. I'm gonna deal with the brokenness in the world. I am the savior, and I have come to save. And the way that he did that was by going to a cross He was crucified, he was buried, and he rose again, showing his ultimate authority over all things. And then he invites us to come and die, to come and follow him, to leave behind an old life, to repent and trust him with our lives. We take this meal to to bring us back to this truth as often as we take it. And I would say, this is beautiful that we get to do this together, but Think about it this way. Every time you sit down at a table to eat and you break bread and you drink the cup, that's actually a time to remember God's grace in your life. It's a time to think, gosh, God's goodness is with me. And maybe, maybe it's tomorrow at lunch and you sit down and you unpack your lunchbox And maybe you had a rough morning and you feel like, gosh, I'm such a, whatever you think about yourself. And then you sit down and you take your PB&J. And as you get ready to eat, you think, His grace is on my life. I'm broken, but I'm loved. I I think to, to practice this even thinking through this every time we eat, but today we do it together. And it's a gift to do it in the community of faith. The bread representing his body that was broken. Let's receive the bread together. The cup representing his blood that was shed for the forgiveness of our sins. Let's receive that together. Please stand as we close and worship.